This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back into the Lions 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and we have a lot to get to here as we look toward the postseason. Penn State, we don't know what exactly awaits them here with game number 13 on the schedule. That's still to be determined. A week from now, we will know and we'll break down that upcoming matchup. But right now, a lot of focus on the upcoming transfer portal conversation. Uh, that's going to open up in a big way. There's going to be players leaving the program across the country here at Penn State. There's going to be a lot of targets surfacing across the country. We'll have full coverage at lines247.com. And we're going to get in that a little bit later here in the week just to give you a layout of what our postseason structure will look like coming out of our 12 game weeks in 13 weeks uh, stretch. We've got two episodes this week. We're going to stick with that. If, if something breaks along the way, we may pop up with an emergency broadcast of sorts. But right now you're looking at two episodes targeting Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're here on a Tuesday. Uh, next next episode, we're going to have Brian Doan to break down a bunch of recruiting talk. A pretty big weekend last weekend for Penn State. Rodney Gallagher was back in town. Uh, a bunch of interesting prospects. Liam Andrews from that 2024 class, a top offensive line target as well. Uh, a lot to get to with Brian on the recruiting trail. Final stretch of the 2023 recruiting cycle. A lot to look at in the 2024 cycle. Want to get his thoughts on some of the senior film and junior film he's seen from prospects of interest here at Penn State. And then Chris Hummer, who does as good a job of anybody uh, across the college football industry in, in keeping tabs on the transfer portal. He will join us next episode to, to lay out what is looking like kind of a, a just a complete game changer for the college football landscape this year and carrying forward with what December is going to be from a transfer standpoint. So we'll talk about some some Penn State perspective, but also big picture how this is going to change roster building across college football. Chris Hummer will join us next episode. But here, the focus is all on the Nittany Lions. Uh, in a moment, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen, my colleagues from Lions 24-7 join us. Tyler Calvaruzzo will follow them to talk about the latest in Nittany Lions recruiting, what's happening, uh, which targets are starting to heat up in this 2023 cycle late. Uh, but first, as I said, Mark, and Daniel join us right now. And uh, we had our post-game podcast coming out of Beaver Stadium on Saturday evening talking about this 35-16 victory over Michigan State. It got Penn State to 10 wins, Mark. Um, we've got some things to catch up uh, on with you from that matchup. And I want to begin with the farewell tour for Sean Clifford, who went out there, as you predicted, through four touchdowns, uh, had a really sharp performance in his last Beaver Stadium start. It was start number 45 um, we're all excited about the future and, and getting a chance to cover this team moving forward. Uh, but this is one of those moments where you got to stop, pause, reflect, and appreciate what Sean Clifford has done for this program. Yeah, after everything he's been through, the criticism he's taken, and he, take, he took some fair, fair criticism, some not-so-fair criticism. Uh, the, I think he got a very nice round of applause before the game, which was good to see compared to what happened uh, earlier in the season. And, you know, I didn't even realize until I picked up the stat, until I stole Daniel's stat book after the game. <laughs> and uh, he completed his last 11 passes in that game. I mean, that was just crazy. And, you know, they needed the, a lot of those passes. That wasn't just, you know, garbage time that he was doing that. So the game was, was on the line. They were up four points. And, 
you know, he came and played really well. And I also like the fact that when they faced fourth and two, Yursich and Franklin put the ball in his hands. You know, it, it, it was kind of fitting because he's not always made those plays. And to give him the opportunity and for him to go through, listen, we, 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 we're as unbiased as we can possibly be on this, on this show. But watching Sean Clifford through all the ups and downs of his career and everything he's dealt with and the class he's handled, with, handled it with, I thought that was very cool to see. And then after the game, the way he kind of soaked in the whole scene, uh, that, that was pretty cool too. So for, for him to go out like that in his final Beaver Stadium game, you know, I, I thought that was that that was needed. And again, he played well. You know, I mean, they needed him to play well. It was the first time that banged up offensive line really struggled at times. You you figured it was going to happen at some point. I didn't. I thought maybe in the bowl game, but it, you know, it, it did against Michigan State. Michigan State did some good things against them defensively, and he stepped up and got the job done when he needed to. So kudos to Sean Clifford again. Roller coaster career uh, went out on a high note. What nice to see. The accuracy that, that we've addressed a lot, and you've done that a lot, Mark, here uh, on the show, and, and and it has popped up as an issue at times during the season in moments of struggle. Uh, 79.2% uh, passing passing uh, efficiency against this team, uh, against Michigan State on Saturday. That was a high on the season, 19 of 24 for those 202 yards. Uh, finishes the season with 63.6% completion rate. Uh, that's up from his former career high, which was 61% uh, last year. And we mentioned this before, uh, now the leader uh, all-time in Nittany Lions history, just over 61% career completion percentage. And uh, these stood out to me as well. And and this speaks to the longevity of his career, which is boosted by this COVID season. And we're going to see other quarterbacks get boosted by that season in the coming years. And the stat sheets are going to reflect that. Seventh all-time in Big Ten history is Sean Clifford, 817 career completions and 11,456 total yards, both of those uh, number seven in Big Ten history. Um, that's the guy who's on his way out. The guy who's sticking around for more Penn State football is Olu Fashanu. He made that clear on Monday with an announcement that he will be using his redshirt junior year in Happy Valley, uh, sticking around for 2023. We don't know yet if he'll be available for the bowl matchup. Last time we saw Olu in action. It was the loss against Ohio State. He exited late in that game. We haven't seen him in practice action since then. We haven't seen him in uniform since then. He was in street clothes uh, last Saturday. And and now we know whether he's available for this bowl or not, that he's going to be a huge component of whatever they're able to accomplish in 2023. Daniel, we already know what they've got coming back in this offensive backfield. The excitement brewing about those guys. You've got to protect them. You've got to create opportunities for them. And by a lot of people's accounts, they're bringing back maybe the top offensive tackle in the nation if you're going to buy into what he's done through these nine career starts. It feels like you're, you're stating the obvious when you're talking about a, a six foot six, 308 pound left tackle coming back and you call it big. Um, but this is really, really big for that Penn State offensive line. Um, you talk about the depth that they were able to develop this year, uh, the guys that were able to play extensive, uh, extensive reps especially Drew Shelton at left tackle Um, and coming back. It just looks like such a deep group. Obviously there's still some movement uh, that we need to see. You got two red shirt seniors in G Scruggs and Bryce Hefner who have a decision to make about using that COVID year. But on top of that, you have a pretty well-regarded freshman class coming in. And I think that Drew Shelton, uh, his play kind of sets a little bit of a precedent that if there is a freshman who comes in and, you know, is ahead of schedule and looks the part, uh, they're willing to play him uh, in in big snaps. So I just think that it's it's significant um, for Penn State from that big picture. And then you just look at what you're expecting this team to be next year. You're expecting to have Drew Aller as the starting quarterback, the, the former number one uh, quarterback in the 24-7 sports rankings, the five-star, um, six foot five, 238 pounds, someone who flashed uh, early in the season when, when he got his opportunities. Um, you know, that's big to have a presence like fashion who blocking his blind side, um, someone who can really be an anchor um, at left tackle. And, you know, I think that there's going to be a really big case for, for fashion to be uh, the, you know, most hyped uh, Penn state player entering next year on either side of the ball. And when was the last time uh, you said that about an offensive lineman for this program? I mean, the remarkable thing is he might be the most hyped player in the program 
who has like the least personal hype for himself. He is not his own hype man. I don't think people really probably don't know much about Olu Fashionu because they're just starting to even figure him out as a football player. This will be a good offseason, I would hope, through some media availability, through getting to know him more. People will be able to figure out, peel back some layers. There's a lot to love about Olu Fashionu. I mean, you've heard it from James Franklin. You've heard it from Phil Troutwine. You've heard it from his teammates. A lot more complex than just good against a defensive lineman lined up across from him. And we're really excited to get a chance to cover him. And I know Penn State's coaching staff, that's a huge pickup. It's going to be a big December for roster acquisitions. You want to hit the transfer portal. You're going to sign a bunch of players later in the month. But good luck finding more of a home run pickup for 2023 uh, than getting Olu on board. Let's just spend a little bit of time, Mark, sorting through what this means for the offensive line group next year. Because you're starting to, to check off these names that – will be back. Hunter Norzad confirmed just a few weeks ago he's going to take advantage of that bonus eligibility created by COVID. He'll be a, a six-year college football player next year. He could be the solution at center for you. If Juice Scruggs decides that he wants to move on, he's got that potential six-year in his back pocket created through COVID. But Juice Scruggs has played a lot of football. We know the injury history he's overcome. If it's the right time for him to move on the NFL, it feels like Hunter Norzad is primed to slide over there, maybe step up as your starting center. Landon Tangwall, we're waiting to see him come back in the spring, uh, what that could mean for his development moving forward. And then, of course, Salim Wormley on, on the right side. Uh, Vega Ione got some, got an opportunity to cut into his snaps a little bit last week. Will that continue in the bowl? Are those two going to duke it out through a competition in the spring? But at tackle, it gets really interesting because you've got Olu in place, but you've learned a lot that you like about Drew Shelton on the left side. What does it mean for his future? Caden Wallace, I think a lot of people are writing him off. He's working trying to get back and compete in this bowl game. He's been close, but not quite there to be able to get back to game action for the last four or five games since exiting against Minnesota. And then Bryce Effner has a decision to make as a guy who could use a six year. So I just threw a lot out there, Mark, but Olu coming back really creates a luxury for you, but it creates a log jam that some players are ultimately going to have to live with come next September because I don't think you can really go with nine, 10 guys being part of your rotation consistently, but I guess that's a problem for Phil Troutwine to figure out, and it's a darn good problem. Yeah, I mean, log jams are, are nice at that position. Yeah. We learned that this year, didn't we? I mean, that's if, if there was ever a season where we learned that you need to have that depth, that's it. And listen, I will not be at all surprised because I think you have to do it anymore. I mean, we saw from last season. You know, they're going to have to try to get another offensive lineman or two from the portal. You know, I, I still think you have to keep building, especially if Juice dis, dis, decides to leave. Uh, Franklin is on record as saying he'd like to get Efner back, but you don't know what's going to happen there. And who knows what's going to happen with Caden Wallace. I mean, you know, we, he, we haven't seen him in, what, eight weeks or, or however long it's been. So uh, the, the, the point I want to get to is with Olu coming back, you know, how attractive does that make this program for other offensive linemen who are out there that, you know, for years to knock on Penn State, for the last few years at least, is that they haven't done a great job of putting linemen in the league. Well, now all of a sudden you're seeing Ryan Bates starting, you're seeing Connor McGovern starting, you're seeing Will Fry struggling a little bit but getting a long look with with uh, with, with a pretty bad team. Uh, but now that Donovan Smith, obviously, he struggled last week, but he's he's been a kind of a, a stalwart down there with the Buccaneers. And now you have another guy who's projecting as possibly the top offensive tackle. Now, all of a sudden, I think Penn State's becoming a, a place where a destination for top offensive linemen. And in that portal, I'm just telling you, you look the last two years, they've been forced to start guys that they've pulled out of the portal. You know, Wilson had an up and down year in 2021, but I think Norzad was a great find this year, uh, especially uh, when Tangwell got banged up. Uh, so I think you have to keep doing that. And I think having a guy as high profile as Olu has become uh, is makes it that much easier. And one other thing I like to say about Olu, you know, we've dealt with him a little bit. I think Tyler, you've probably dealt with him more, maybe you too, Daniel, but super intelligent kid, super intelligent kid. And I can tell you, I would almost guarantee that a lot of that comes from his parents. The way he carries himself, uh, you know, there's just a little something different about him in a positive way. And and I think the impact that his parents, you could tell the impact his parents have had on him. And I think as he looks at this big picture, probably education is probably part of the part of the scenario. Uh, again, we know he's only 19 years old. 
still has room to grow and develop, but his upside is huge. And for him to start to, to, to realize even more that at Penn State is huge for the program. A couple other factors that I neglected to address just to throw into that mix for the offensive line guys. J.B. Nelson, I think he really came along as well as you'd hope for in year one coming off of what was really an abbreviated career at the junior college level because his freshman season was all screwed up by COVID. He got a full sophomore year uh, last year, uh, but came in with sophomore eligibility because of COVID, and he'll actually leave with sophomore eligibility. He'll be a fourth-year sophomore in the eyes of the NCAA next year because of a red shirt that they were able to, to – I, I don't know how they did it considering what they did, but they were able to get to the finish line here where they can play Vega Ioane in a bowl game. They can play J.B. Nelson in a bowl game, and both of them are not going to burn redshirt. It's it's very commendable in terms of what they had to juggle up front to be able to get to this point in that kind of shape. Uh, and, and so J.B. Nelson's got to watch. I'm really curious if he's going to get some reps at tackle over the course of the coming month. This is really an important uh, exploratory time, I think, in some ways for the coaching staff as they evaluate what they have on the field right now because you're not going to get a chance to see these guys in this kind of a competitive structure with the pads on until next March, and that's a long way away. You want as much data points on guys in terms of personality, in terms of competitive nature as you possibly can up and down this roster as you're trying to maximize your scholarship slots. Um, so really pivotal to figure out who can play tackle, who's more comfortable inside, and, and try to sort through what you've got and from a two-deep, three-deep perspective going into next year. Uh, and then, Daniel, that 2020 class, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a mystery box. Olu Fashionu is going to continue to build his college resume. They're obviously getting going to get a lot more out of him than maybe we anticipated as his name was popping on NFL draft boards. But Jimmy Christ, who, who as of now, you know, things are thin. He's been that next tackle in. Um, and then Nick Dawkins, a guy who I think we were hearing good things about in the preseason, could be a serviceable guard, maybe a center, worked on his body. He's been sidelined for a while. You can say the same thing about Ibrahim Traore and uh, Golden, and um, I should say Golden Israel Chumba. And so all those guys right now, if they're sticking around, if someone's going to leave, I don't know. But I think that's a group you've got to figure out what you've got going into the winter as we try to get to the bottom of how things could play out in the trenches. That, that's a group <clears throat> that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I think that of those guys, you know, Chris, you know, he, he found his spot as that depth right tackle um, this year. Uh, Dawkins found his home on the depth chart uh, before he got banged up as kind of that depth center, uh, depth guard. But Ibrahim Traore and Golden Israel Achumba are two kind of the, the wild cards, I guess. Um, we saw Golden on field goal protection uh, early this season. Um, so there was a special teams role for him. He was able to to find his way there. But, you know, I think that when you talk about offensive line recruiting, that class just really kind of emphasizes how you need to take as many bites at the apple as you can. Because when you look at that group, Olu Fashionu was a three-star recruit. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't around covering that class, but, you know, when even just being at a remove, he was not someone that you heard a lot about um, in that signing class. Uh, and the fact that he is the one that is really emerging as the guy from that five-man group, I think that that just shows that the offensive line is just a position similar to, I guess, like edge rusher, defensive line, just the trenches overall that you need to take as many swings as possible because you never really know who's going to be the one that connects, you know, who turns into the home run. Um, so I think that it will be interesting to see how that group, you know, kind of works moving forward. Uh, it is a group that has a ton of eligibility remaining. Um, I, I think all of them are, were redshirt sophomores this year uh, in terms of eligibility. So um, they're guys that could have a lot of football ahead of them, um, whether that's at Penn state or elsewhere um, or in the NFL in, in Olu's case in a couple of years. Um, but it will be interesting to see when we get to the spring, uh, which of those guys is healthy, who's able to be a go um, when it comes when it comes to spring ball. Um, I thought that in the ESPN story about Olu coming back, there was the note that he'll be good to go for spring ball. Um, so that'll that's something that kind of uh, alleviates a concern there. Um, but I think the biggest thing with that group is just their their health. I mean, I think that's been one of the bigger things that's prevented that group from really taking that that big step and being part of this rotation. Yeah, they're going to have reinforcements. you got Tangwall work, working his way back. And, and as we mentioned, some of the more interesting depth pieces 
you know, we don't know who sticks around. It's it's college football these days. You don't know who's going to invest in a fourth year on a campus. There, there's a lot of questions in terms of that with some of these guys. And just a reminder, they followed up that 2020 class with what was ultimately a one-man freshman class uh, with Landon Tangwall as Nate Bruce quickly left the program. And then what has proven to be a two-man freshman class here in 2022, two very good freshmen in Vega, Ioane and Drew Shelton, but Malik McNeil along the way uh, leaving campus. So uh, some some small numbers there in terms of the freshmen, uh, and we'll see how that's addressed. Javen Williams, uh, Alex Birchmeyer, Anthony Donka coming to this campus in a matter of about five or six weeks. So this is going to get a lot more interesting very soon. Uh, for the offensive line uh, fellas the all big 10 teams are out and we've got half of them i should say uh, defense slash special teams uh, coming out on a tuesday we'll see what, which of these offensive linemen maybe get some honors on wednesday along with the rest of the offensive pieces of the puzzle daniel you're fresh out of monitoring this i apologize to you on a day that you have a head cold and you're battling through it that the big 10 network uh, made it last an hour instead of just giving you everything up front, but but you, you hung with it. You've got a story up at lions247.com. What stands out to you in terms of where guys landed and where guys did not land? I, I think we should start with the positive. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., uh, first team selection by both the media and the coaches. I think that's well-deserved based on how he played. I think that he really set the tone for his season on that in that first game against Purdue where he had six pass breakups. Um, and then from there, teams just kind of started throwing. They just stopped throwing at him. Um, and, and he was really able to hold down one half of the field. Um, and he also did that while essentially missing. You know, he missed two full games and made a pretty brief cameo, um, I would say, uh, against Michigan State on Saturday um, in the finale. But I think that that's a big credit to Porter for coming into this year and I think matching the hype uh, that was there for him. Um, he didn't make the cut for to be a finalist for some of the major awards he was in the mix for, but you know he showed I think what we wanted to see from him that he could be a lockdown corner, that those long arms were able to make a difference on the defense, and that really that really bore out. Um, and then PJ Mustafer got second team All Big Ten from the coaches, third team from the media. Uh, Abdul Carter was second team from the media, third team from the coaches. Um, I thought that both of those were were pretty well deserved too. Mustafer didn't necessarily have the accounting stats this year, but when you look at a an all conference level defensive tackle, you know the the big sack guys, those are rare. You know someone like Aaron Donald uh, who plays on the interior and is able to to put up big numbers like that. Um, and I thought when you watched Penn State this year, they were at their best when PJ Mustafer was eating up space and freeing up uh, freeing up guys like Abdul Carter to be able to make plays at the second level and to get into the backfield. Um, you know, I think that when you talk about the the omissions or uh, places where guys landed that were a little surprising, uh, Jair Brown and Kalen King were both uh, third team selections as defensive backs. Um, I think that if you watched Penn State all season, I think that Jair Brown's body of work probably made him one of the best, if not the best defensive player um, on this team. You know, you go through his his stat sheet. Uh, I've been I've been writing a stat line out uh, a couple times for stories, and you know, you've got the tackles for loss, you got the sacks, you got the interceptions, you got the pass breakups, you got the quarterback hurries, you got the fumble recoveries, you got the force fumbles, you got the touchdown. I mean, he really did it all. Leading tackler, led the team in solo tackles for the second straight season, um, and then Kalen King. Um, you look at him; he led the nation or tied for the national lead with 18 pass breakups. That was first among Power Five players. Um, I think after Purdue didn't throw at him uh, in week one, I thought you really saw a lot of teams try to test him. And you saw that against Michigan State. where He had five pass breakups and an interception. I mean, the sophomore was up to the task. I think that he's someone you have to be really excited about moving forward. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily think there were that many cornerbacks better than him, um, you know, in the Big Ten this year. But, you know, as a whole, with, with these kind of all-conference teams, voting for them is it's a really difficult task. I've, I've done it before and you start going through the the leaders and, and reading up on guys and suddenly like Nebraska, I barely know. <laughs> you look at some of the names and you're like, wait, who's this? What did they do? What was this a product of? Um, it, it's, it's a lot of homework and um, you know, sometimes it can be hard to get it right, so to say. But I do think that when you look at what Penn State was this year, uh, Jair Brown and Kalen King being that low, a bit of a surprise. 
Um, but you look at the other guys who were also honored. I mean, I think it's a big testament to what Manny Diaz did with this defense. And at corner, I mean, if you put Johnny Dixon in the starting lineup consistently uh, on a defense, a lot of defenses across the Big Ten, he might be ca- making that case. I know he was an honorable mention as a number three cornerback. He was a starting cornerback. And for essentially the last three games, Porter came back for the regular season finale. Uh, he played about a dozen snaps, and and it was really more Dixon. It was more King. Daquan Hardy had a kind of an uptick in snaps, more Marquise Wilson. Uh, but but a nice opportunity there for Porter. What we anticipate was, was his final game in Beaver Stadium. And, and a guy that, as we said, kind of exemplifies where it feels this locker room is at, where it feels the program is at, where you've got a guy who feels like a home run first round kind of talent trying like, like hell to get back to play a five and six Michigan state team on a cold day in Beaver stadium, even if it's just for a dozen snaps, because it means that much to him. We got to figure out if, if Porter's going to be investing into a postseason matchup as well, but good to see he wasn't dinged up by the voters here because he missed a stretch late in the season. He was that dominant, but I'll make the case, Mark Brennan, We've seen some some really quality cornerbacks over the years. We haven't seen a first-round pick out of Penn State, but at least I have seen the likes of John Reed and Amani Arawarie and, and, and Tariq Castro-Fields more recently. But I would say if it's not 2022 Joey Porter as the best cornerback I've seen, it might be 2022 Kalen King as the best yeah. Penn State cornerback I've seen. Yeah, that's what I don't quite get about this. So you have Joey Porter Jr. on one side that nobody really wants to throw at. And then you have Kalen King, who, as Daniel mentions, after the Purdue game, everybody wanted to throw at. And all he does is lead the nation in pass breakups. I mean, as I look at this, it, it, I, I, we, we just got this like right before we started. So <laughs> it's hard to really pick it apart. So typically, if you're going to say somebody belongs, you have to take somebody off. And I just haven't looked at the, the list closely enough because we literally just got it. But I'm I scratch my head over that. I mean, I know I, I do vote for the all Big Ten basketball teams. And a lot of times you have to pick a, a first team, a second team, and a third team. So five guys on each team. And when you get down to 12, 13, 14, 15, you're really relying on stats and that sort of thing. Or guys, if you saw them, that sort of thing. So I it this has to be a, a extremely difficult difficult thing especially with the o-linemen which haven't come out yet but that's as i look at it i mean the one guy i, I just i can't believe Kalen king is 13 i just I, I mean i'm that shocks me i think an argument could be made that he was a better quarterback this year than joey porter jr and that's not a knock on joey porter jr that's going to what you're saying tyler and that i think the reason that joey porter jr projects at a different level than so many of these Penn State quarterbacks is because he's really good, which they've had a lot of really good cornerbacks, but he's an athletic freak. I mean, his arms are physical. His, his, his wingspan is that of what a guy who's like six, eight or six, nine. So you, that those people, human beings just don't come across like that. I'm stealing one of James Franklin's lines, but there just aren't many human beings in the world like that. So that's why he projected that level. He's all, he's a really good player. He's a great player. But I think Kalen King, man, I, I, I don't get it. So that's the one on this list that I take a look at. Jair Brown, it's tough because I think you look at his numbers. You led the team in tackles, right? I mean, he ends up leading the team in tackles. But he didn't have as many explosive plays. He had the one fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, I think people maybe, when they look at these things, are looking for more interceptions. I don't know. Uh, but I could kind of get that. But Kalen King is the one that's really a head scratcher for me. And Jair Brown is a guy that I thought could contend for defensive player of the year. That obviously didn't work out that way. But I don't have as much quibble with him being third team as I do with Kalen King. Well, you talk about defensive player of the year. When you look ahead of the 2023 betting favorites, Abdul Carter, maybe one of those names near the top of the list. And for him to get that second team uh, honor from the media and, and third team honor from the coaches, that reflects what he was able to do, especially during the, the last seven, eight games of this season as Penn State's uh, really the last six games of the season as Penn State started to find its momentum, especially on the defensive side of the football. Um Led the nation in terms of all freshmen with tackles for loss, 10 and a half. Uh, and he's tied for that lead uh, across the country uh, when it comes to sacks with six and a half. Both of those stat, both of those stat lines lead this entire Penn State roster. The one thing I want to get to here at linebacker, though, because I think it's another one of those case studies that we got to monitor here in the coming weeks. Curtis Jacobs, you got an honorable mention. I think he was an honorable mention last year. He's through three years. He's a former five-star prospect. He's he started a bunch of games now. Uh, he missed missed some action here in, in November, but um, 
What do you make of that, Daniel? He's got a decision to make here. Again, he's played a lot of football in the Big Ten, but I think we are still waiting to see him, you know, become that kind of a game wrecker. It's a, it's a, it's a term that I've now applied to Abdul Carter, and it's something that I repeatedly said this offseason, uh, all the way through August and into September. Can Curtis Jacobs here in year three take that step forward? We did not see Brandon Smith do it in year three, a former five-star prospect, and I think he ended up being an honorable mention kind of level conference player last year. Curtis Jacobs, it feels like he has a lot to gain. Certainly, I know Manny Diaz and the defense have a lot to gain if, if he sticks around. But, uh, you know, I, you understand in today's day and age when you play this much football and you have this kind of an athletic pedigree, why he might go pro. It, it, I think that that's maybe the most curious uh, decision that um, we're going to have to follow uh, when, when it comes to these next couple of weeks, uh, when it comes to NFL decisions. Because, you know, I do think that, Curtis Jacobs has the the physical tools to play at the next level. Um, you talk about former five star recruit um, James Franklin. Like we all we always know when these guys go to Indianapolis and they put the spandex on, it's going to look really good. Uh, and I think Curtis Jacobs is one of those guys who could test really really well. But I think the biggest thing for him is sort of how he fits at the next level. How an NFL team wants to to utilize him. Um, it's you know a bit of a cop out to say well, his success will de- depend on fit because uh, that really goes for you know every player when they make the jump for, for college to the NFL because if you're not losing a guy, using a guy right, he's not going to play well. Uh, but Jacobs played around, around 230 pounds this year as that box linebacker. Um, you know, he retained his athleticism, I feel like, um, but is that what an NFL team is going to want to see? Um, I, I, you know, is that tape of him playing the Sam um, is that enough to bump him up uh, a draft board? Is, is that how a team visualizes using him at the next level? So I think that he's someone where when it comes to the feedback uh, that he gets from the NFL, um, when it comes to really going through what his options are, what the possibilities are, um, I think that is going to be really interesting to see. But at the same time, it only takes one NFL team to really fall in love with you um, and what you can do and, and what you have on tape you know, to maybe go a little bit earlier. Uh, than someone thinks you might, and in turn make a lot more money. I think the one thing one thing I could I yeah. could throw out is that I think the way he he and uh, Abdul Carter complimented each other with an E, not like oh hey hey Abdul, nice to see you today. No, but in the way they kind of played off of one another, that really started to click late in the season, didn't it? I mean, I think I think each made the other better, and I wonder if as he's going through this, and hopefully we get a chance to talk to him before the bowl. Uh, but I wonder if as as he's going through this, if Curtis isn't thinking, uh, yeah, another year of playing with this guy could make me even that much better. It could make probably Abdul that much better as well. Yeah, make Manny Diaz happy. I'm sure about that. And, and, and just sticking at linebacker real quick, we have a position by position breakdown as we do coming out of all these games all season long of, of the snap counts and what stood out in terms of player use trends. And, and that's every position. But I want to stay at linebacker to finish off the conversation here because Kobe King essentially got 50 percent of the work at Mike in this matchup. That wasn't the case for much of the season. It was more of a high volume for, for Tyler Elston. But here in November, uh, when Elston exited early against Indiana and just generally here, Felt like Kobe King was given some opportunity to get some run at middle linebacker. I'm going to be curious to see how that shapes out in the in the postseason matchup. But 290 snaps on the season for Kobe King. He had 39 tackles, four of them for loss. That included the fumble recovery um, on the road at Rutgers. And then Tyler Elston had 380 snaps, 90 more snaps. He had one fewer tackle, 38 tackles. He had three tackles for loss uh, and one sack. So it was Elston who got the most work. But you look at the kind of the final stat lines for whatever you want to read into that. And this is a a position that you need to be pretty productive. We saw Keaton Ellis be a 100-tackle performer there. Um, You can add those numbers those numbers up and see where it gets you if it was one guy but we've got two to look at here mark and we're gonna have two to kind of parse through in the postseason and then into spring camp and i think we'll be talking about it again next august and maybe we'll throw abdul carter in the conversation depending on what help happens elsewhere at linebacker where do you come out of the regular season viewing these two guys who were question marks in august you can certainly say at the, at the base level they were serviceable this year and i think you saw flashes from both of more than that but in november to me Saw some interesting things from Kobe King in particular. Yeah, you made the mistake I always make is it was uh, Ellis Brooks, not Keaton Ellis. Just so, uh, just so people know. I've done too. it. Uh, hey, I'm from State <laughs> College. 
He, you know, we, we, we've all done it. But I think it's it's another one of these good problems to have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think both if, – if you look at the way both of those guys played, I think they were both markedly better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season. What I would say, though, is I think Kobe King was significantly, significantly, significantly better at the end of the season than he was at the beginning of the season. It, it looks to me as if this tr- is trending toward him maybe – being the guy we'll see i mean we'll see how things play out in the bowl we'll see how things play out but i, I just think the uh the, the athleticism uh the, the hitting all of those things that he kind of brought and that's not a knock on T- tyler elsden uh because i thought he played well but i just think when you look at upsides uh to me kobe king seemed to be getting better and better and better the more we saw him unfortunately part of that was due to the fact that that elsden got banged up which you don't want to see anybody ever get hurt uh, and then I think you bring up a, a really good point. You know, James Franklin was the first one to say that Abdul Carter, well, I think Manny Diaz actually said it at one point too, that uh, Abdul Carter, you know, could eventually be a Mike linebacker. And then Franklin, the last time we talked to him about this, was it before the Michigan State game? I forget. They all kind of run it together. La- but- it was last week before Thanksgiving. Yep. Yeah. But he kind of dialed it back and said, well, he's not you know, necessarily going there. So I think what it's go- going to boil down to, is what they're able to do recruiting wise, how some of these other linebackers, uh, you know, Keon Wiley, you know, where does he project as a 209 pound guy now? Can Is he ever going to be big enough to be able to play in the box? So I think a lot of those things are going to be what's in play in spring ball. But again, I think having both Elsden and Kobe King, who both have a ton of football, and we know that Mike linebacker spot, it's as much cerebral as it is being athletic ideally you have both of them together so you could have your quote-unquote quarterback of the defense playing really well uh but it's a good problem to have both of those guys this way if curtis jacobs decides to come back you know you put him back at the sam i mean they're the more moving parts that you have i think the better in terms of flexible positional flexibility in terms of if guys can get banged up all those things so all that's going to come into play let me just throw a name out there just for next year. Tyrese Mills. I know they liked his potential a lot as a yeah. guy who could step up, evolve, you know, transitioning from the safety to that Sam linebacker position. Kind of a lost season for him, maybe in terms of on-field development because of an injury setback. Hope to have a full spring practice session with him and and, and get him going. He didn't get to campus till this summer. So, you know, he's another guy that could factor in that we haven't really seen much from. Um, Before we turn the page over to Tyler Calvaruzzo and talk Penn State recruiting, um, Penn State gearing up for a pretty important stretch here in the next seven, eight days. Uh, Michigan State matchup on the horizon as Big Ten play gets going next week. But before that, some out-of-conference competition. Daniel, talk us through what's ahead for the Nittany Lions, who are at 6-1 and right now. We've got the the – the last uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, tonight, uh, Penn State on the road at Clemson, which kicks off a, a pretty tough start to December with at Clemson, home against Michigan State, uh, and then on the road against Illinois. Um, so we're going to find out a lot about this team uh, in these next three games. Um, it's a little kind of, you know, conference play teaser um, because after those two games, they, they go back in the non-conference play before playing Iowa on New Year's Day. And then from there, it is Big Ten play the rest of the way. Um, so we're, we're going to learn a lot. Um, anytime you can go out of conference to play another, um, or was it the, the Power Six uh, when it comes to, to college basketball? Um, it's a good test. Uh, it's the road environment. You're going back to South Carolina after being there just a week ago. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot. I mean, I'm really curious to see, you know, can a guy like Keba Jai, uh, you know, take these strides where he's playable against Michigan State, uh, against Illinois. Can some of these other freshmen, how do they hold up uh, when it comes to Big Ten play? Guys like Andrew Funk and Cameron Winter, who transferred up from Bucknell and Drexel. What's it like when it's Michigan State, uh, Illinois on the other side? So it's going to be an exciting uh, couple of weeks, I think. And, you know, in, in two weeks, uh, we're going to know a lot more about what Micah Shrewsbury has, what maybe the, the ceiling is for this season. Mark, let's wrap this little bit of hoops talk with one for you. Seven-game sample size, six and one record. What is the the trend or trends that you think are very positive for Penn State right now? And what are the early trend or trends that are concerning to you right now? Well, obviously, three-point shooting is is the positive. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the in the nation. I mean, it's 
the way that they've turned this thing around from last year has been just unbelievable. And uh, I think their depth is is better than than it's been. It's still not great. I think some of those younger players, Evan Mahaffey, Demetrius Lilly, if he can get back to full kind of go, uh, you know, that, they're going to be helpful. You know, the, the biggest question mark is going to be interior defense. I mean, that's going to be that that is going to be a challenge. I don't know that it's going to be so much of a challenge tonight because I don't know that Clemson has a dominating big man. But but once you get into the Big Ten, you know, you look around and you know, I project out to that that January eighth game at the Palestra against Purdue. Which wow, how how great is that looking after Purdue smoked Gonzaga and Duke? Uh, but with Zach Eady, you know, seven four, three hundred pounds. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't. And I think what they have to try to do is, you know, he's going to get his offensively, but then you have to make him, them pay for having a seven-four, three hundred pounder on the floor uh, defensively. That that whoever he's guarding is going to have to be able to step away from the basket and score. So it's going to make for some fascinating matchups, and that's what I think we're going to see. Not necessarily tonight, but. In the first two Big Ten games, how are they able to counter some of these larger teams? And maybe, you know, what's a what's a, an issue on the defensive end for Penn State becomes, with their great three-point shooting, becomes a weapon on, on the other end. But it's going to be fun. I mean, they have, if, if you haven't watched them watch tonight, they have been a fun team to watch every game. Uh, even when they lost, I mean, it's it was a bat. you know, they ended up clawing back into a game. They didn't play the, the, the prettiest game against Lafayette, let, kind of let Lafayette back in it, and then Lafayette scratched back uh, very late in the game against the reserves. But this is a fun team to watch. They bomb it away from anywhere. They love to get the ball moving in transition, but interior defense is going to be an issue. Some people are going to feast on this team in the paint. Lines 24-7 listeners and readers know that we are all in on football coverage all year round, but hopefully you've noticed that we have really bought into coverage on the basketball scene this season. Daniel's done a great job. Mark continuing his basketball coverage, and Tyler Calvaruso, he'll hear from a moment, has been chiming in with a bunch of hoops recruiting coverage along the way, all at lines247.com. We'll see how it goes. They're 6-1 right now, some tests ahead, and then into conference action. Daniel, Mark, I know you've been waiting a long time for me to say this, but you're done for the week. It's it's Tuesday. You guys, I'll catch up with you later. Unless something breaks, then I'll probably hook you back in for another show. But uh, enjoy yourselves. Uh, we got through the regular season. We got a lot to figure out between now and, and whatever bowl matchup this is. But I uh, appreciate you guys joining me uh, for, for, what, three, four episodes, in Daniel's case, a week during the season. So go chill out a little bit if you can. Calvaruso's in the green room. Get him on. Get, 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 he, he's he's anxious to talk. I can I can see him back there. He's already ready to go and start talking recruiting. So let's get him going. I, I can see him. The makeup is done. So we'll get him on board here. All right, fellas. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
All right, good stuff from Daniel and Mark. Uh, let's bring in Tyler Calvarizzo, as we mentioned, who looks great uh, as promised. And what's going on, man? We, we just spent a lot of time talking about the 10-2 and two Nittany Lions, what they've accomplished on the field at 4-0 in November. Sure feels like they were able to accomplish quite a bit off the field in Beaver Stadium on Saturday, considering it was not necessarily a stellar Big Ten matchup and not necessarily a uh, magical environment in, in Happy Valley. Yeah, I mean, Mark just nailed it, man. I'm ready to go. We got a lot to talk about coming out of this weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, it wasn't a huge weekend, you know, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all that stuff. A lot of recruits spending time with their family, you know, prioritizing that. A lot of these guys have been on the road a lot throughout the year, so they're kind of, you know, taking a breath. But Penn State was still able to reel in a pretty solid visitor weekend, I would say. You know, they got Liam Andrews on campus, 2024 lineman from Massachusetts. Things have been going well there. They got Kevin Haywood. We've talked about him a bunch. Composite four-star tackle from Archbishop Wood. He's high on Penn State. Another really great visit. And obviously the biggest name on campus this weekend, Rodney Gallagher, the in-state West Virginia wide receiver commit. Penn State trying to make a push there late in the cycle. So it was a productive weekend for the Nittany Lions for sure. You know, a good product on the field was presented to those guys and the staff put in a lot of work and made some strides with some guys. Let's begin with Gallagher, because as we were coming off of the podcast that you and I recorded last week together, midweek, um, almost immediately Gallagher yeah. confirms he's, he's coming to campus <laughs> for this game. And we just spent all that time you know, parsing through the wide receiver situation uh, with Ajani Shakir off the board now. Um, so Gallagher gets to campus. He remains committed to West Virginia, uh, which has some leadership things going on down there in Morgantown. Um, and look, he's very familiar with Beaver Stadium. Yeah. He's been doing this since his freshman year of high school. Why was this visit different, and how did it actually come together from what you've gathered to, to make this the right time for Gallagher to, to take another peek? You know, Penn State never really disappeared out of the picture for Gallagher, and we've talked about that trip that Jan Franklin made to Bell Vernon versus Laurel Highlands earlier in the fall. That trip was just as much about seeing Quentin Martin as it was Gallagher checking in with him, you know, trying to keep him warm in the event that things were going to happen at West Virginia. And while obviously nothing has happened yet, I think, you know, Penn State and some other staff may be sensing some blood in the water where they feel like they can make a move there. So getting Gallagher on campus, is, it's been in the works and obviously it came to fruition over the weekend. And what I would say about this visit is that it wasn't a hard sell, right? You know, Franklin and the staff, they didn't get Gallagher on campus and really push for the flip right then and there. It was really more about reinforcing the fit in the offense and reinforcing that Happy Valley can be a fit for Gallagher, despite, you know, the strong attraction that he has to West Virginia. Because the fact of the matter is when it comes to Gallagher, he really does want to wait and see what's going to happen in Morgantown. He's been committed to the Mountaineers for what feels like forever now at this point with his recruitment. And there's a loyalty there. And, you know, there are ties pulling him to West Virginia. So he's going to want to see what happens there. But Penn State, I feel like, they, pro they accomplished some stuff with Gallagher this weekend, I would say. I, I think his eyes are definitely wide open to the opportunity for him in State College. And, you know, we'll, we'll see when the staff gets in home with him how that goes. And we saw him standing alongside Tamir Robinson, who's a close friend, and, and those yeah. two have visited Penn State together a bunch. And Tamir, of course, has been committed to Penn State for some time now, a really important component of the defensive recruiting class for the 2023 cycle. So you have you know that angle that you're seeing played. And then you have James Franklin and him, it certainly looked very friendly at midfield before this matchup. They exchanged a big hug. Uh, Franklin went back to him post game. Uh, this is a situation where you know you don't need to just. This is why you don't show your emotions after a kid makes a decision. This is why, as a staff, exactly. collectively, if you're feeling you know like you were spurned and you feel like you put in all this effort and it didn't work out in your favor and you feel like you need to throw a tantrum because some come coaches do some find a different way to do it than directing that towards a kid or his high school coach or his family member because that's how you burn a bridge and that's how you basically bungle a situation and don't get to a spot where you have a prospect circling back for a closer look because you've maintained your integrity in that recruitment you've maintained the open door policy in that recruitment and there's other things in play here that they're going to have to work through i mean compared to where this recruitment was when rodney gallagher picked up his offer one of the first you know freshmen to pick up a penn state offer years ago to where the realities are in the college football recruiting world are now 
the NIL proponent of it, it's changed so much. So everyone's evolving. Rodney Gallagher and, and his support system are evolving through this process. And Penn State is trying to evolve through this process to make sure that they retain talent and make sure that they can acquire talent and they have the arsenal and abilities to do that. So we'll be keeping tabs on this one. I think Gallagher made it clear uh, in his comments to Brian Doan, who was all over the story and, and, and had, a, had a story up Saturday evening uh, about what Gallagher was feeling coming out of this matchup. I think it's very clear he's going to take his time and be patient to see what happens with West Virginia. The dialogue is going to continue. Wouldn't surprise to see him uh, entertain other programs at this point as well. Um, but looking at a priority 2024 in-state guy, sh you know, shifting down the toward the future a little bit here, uh, you talked about it. A big-time offensive lineman uh, was on campus, and, and we saw him uh, show up in, the, in the, the summer and press on campus, and that's Kevin Haywood. Um, Phil Troutwine liked what he saw uh, this summer. We liked what we saw. Other staffs that have fallen in line. Michigan's making a play for him. He's got interest to the South now that's brewing. Uh, what did this visit mean for, for Haywood? And I know a lot of people have seen the crystal ball picks and they've been saying, well, what comes next? And, hey, I understand the kid's doing his diligence because he's a wanted man. Yeah, so I would say this was another really positive trip for Haywood when it comes to Penn State. Just he wanted to get back on campus and he wanted to get a feel, just, you know, another feel for the way the Nittany Lions operate. And he was able to accomplish that. Reconnected with the staff, reconnected with Trotwine, Frank Leonard, who Haywood loves Frank Leonard, man. He loves Frank Leonard's energy. It reminds him of his coaching staff at Archbishop Wood. So that's a big factor here. And what I would say about Haywood's recruitment, it, it's been a fun one to cover so far because he's kind of blown up to the point where, you know, there's a lot of suitors really. And there's been concern about why is he not part of Penn State's 2024 class from some fans. And I get that, given, you know, how much he's been on campus and the relationship that he does have with the staff. But Haywood is very committed to diving deep into all of his suitors. You know, he told me that the next time he gets back to Happy Valley, which is he's planning on making that happen soon, he wants to catch up with Chocolosi and he wants to really get an in-depth look at the strength and conditioning program, the nutrition, all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, he feels that he needs to be able to vibe with the strength and conditioning staff. He needs to be on board with what's going on behind the scenes. And he doesn't want to rush into anything. And that goes for Penn State. That goes for Michigan, who's heavily involved. And that goes for Tennessee, who is also looking to get back down and visit. Tennessee's an interesting one in this recruitment. I'd keep a really close eye on the balls. They got him on campus pretty soon after offering and his desire to go back down there again so soon kind of speaks to his level of interest. But Penn State has pushed really all of the right buttons with Haywood. It's not about that. It's just about a kid doing his due diligence, like you said, and really gathering all the information that's going to be made available to him throughout his recruitment before saying, hey, look, I want to commit here. Because with Haywood, I don't get the sense that he's going to be – when he commits, I think he's going to be done. I don't think – I think that's going to be that. So it's understandable that he wants to make this decision with as much information backing it as possible. Uh, Penn State had a couple of uh, another uh, top 24-7 prospect on campus. I actually don't think Haywood's quite in that top 24-7. I know he's a four-star composite guy, uh, but he's going to be under that kind of consideration, that kind of talent, uh, six foot seven, 290 pounds. But one of my favorites in that 2024 offensive line class uh, in this Northeast region, I guess you could say, uh, is uh, out of Massachusetts, Liam Andrews. Telling you what, he was as dominant as any lineman we saw uh, on the practice field and during Penn State's prospect camps uh, this summer. Love the work he put in alongside some Penn State commits. I know he made some fans from guys like Cooper Cousins, Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams. They got a chance to work with him. Now they want him to join them in the future. And, and he's a guy who got back to Happy Valley, got to back into Beaver Stadium. What do you make a, a, of Penn State's progress there? He's a top 100 overall prospect from a composite perspective, a guy who could play guard, could play tackle. And I think right now, Penn State, you probably slot him on that perimeter. You know, progress is the key word when it comes to Andrews, I would say, because I think Penn State has progressively continued to move up his list to the point where, you know, they might be at the top by now. They've put in a lot of good work with him. And, man, at that whiteout camp, he was so good and just so impressive. And he caught the eye of pretty much everyone who was watching him, the staff, the commits. Cooper Cousins has been recruiting Andrews really, really hard pretty much ever since then. They've built a pretty good relationship. So this isn't just a staff effort now. We got the commits on Andrews as well. So that speaks to where he is on Penn State's board and how much they want him to take his talents to Happy Valley. But Andrews, you know, he's not a physical specimen, but man, he can play. He's, his technique is good. He's just, he's got it going on for him. So this is a player that Penn State wants and they're pushing and they've they've made some pretty serious inroads. We're not at the point where, you know, we're going to toss in a crystal ball or anything like that. There's still a ways to go with Andrew's recruitment and him getting out and making visits, but I'd expect him to be back in town soon cuz he's got a pretty high level of interest in the Nittany Lions right now.
And and speaking of looking down the road a little bit, I know you made it a point to spotlight a 2025 prospect uh, out of New Jersey, um, a, a guy that, that that I think Brian Donis since caught up with, John Forster, St. Joe's Montvale. That program's always in the spotlight for Power yeah. Five football <laughs> recruiting. Um, what separates this kid at an early stage, and what can you say about why he kind of warrants this attention as an underclassman uh, from Nittany Lions fans who who want to follow recruiting at this early stage? So I got to see Forster at MetLife Stadium in Jersey in I believe it was either early October or late September and man I mean this kid's breakaway speed is really impressive he's really versatile St. Joe's they line him up at running back they also have you seen Willis four star in the 2024 class so Forster kind of splits out wide into the slot sometimes he's really good there he's got good hands good vision just he's, he's a playmaker man that's really what it comes down to and he's going to be a kid who's going to be on a lot of power five radars he's already got the offers he's got the Penn State offer and he told me back then he was really interested in the Nittany Lions and he was looking forward to get on campus. And that transpired this weekend with a lot of his St. Joe's teammates. I believe Jameer Joseph, 2025 kid with an offer from Penn State, was there as well. He's going to be another high-level prospect out of St. Joe's. And Forster's going to be a name to know in that class for sure. He's going to be someone on Penn State's running back board because he could do a lot of good things. And we all know how much Penn State prioritizes versatility out of the backfield. And Forster fits that mold. Um, 2023 class, we're down in the last two weeks before December. We know we have to pay attention beyond that. Case in point, Vega Ioane, who looks like a really promising offensive lineman for Penn State right now, was part of the February signing day uh, just here in 2022. But, it, it, you know, we want to see what Penn State can accomplish between now and, 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 and the final stretch here in December. Some offensive linemen coming to the surface now, a new offer down in Florida, a junior college prospect confirming he's making an official visit. Kind of take us through it right now. A lot going, still a lot going on in 2023. Still a lot to cover here. So Chris Johnson, the four-star running back out of Florida. We've talked about him plenty. That official visit, now that that's locked in. I like where Penn State is trending there because I've always been a proponent that the last official visit is just so, so key. And that's what Penn State is going to get in this situation. Now, Clemson did a really good job with Johnson over the weekend. They got him on campus. And by all accounts, that trip went really well. And South Carolina, or excuse me, Ole Miss accomplished the same thing with Johnson. So... Penn State's going to get the last crack with him, and that's going to be big because he loves the staff. He loves J1 Sire, loves James Franklin, and he's been looking to get on campus. So that's going to be a big visit. You know, wide receiver, still working our way through that. Edwin Joseph still on the board. There's going to be some portal activity. You know, I'd anticipate that. We had the former Penn State commit, Dante Thornton, hit the portal last night. That's probably one to keep an eye on. Offensive line, Keyshawn Blackstock. Juco, elite Juco offensive line, in my opinion. I think he's one of the best in the nation. He's going to be in Happy Valley for his official visit in December. Another guy with a high level of interest in the program and a good relationship with Phil Trotwin. Still a bunch going on on the defensive line in the secondary. I, new, new offer on the offensive line last night that I almost forgot about. Chris Otto out of Florida. He's got a crystal ball for Florida State. He's a high academic kid. I know the Knowles feel kind of good about him. Still a ways to go there. He's looking to get on campus. Trotwin's going to be out to see him soon. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, man. The end of the cycle is never a boring time, I can tell you that, and that holds true right now. Still spots to fill, and Penn State staff is going hard to fill them, man. I know you're tracking it all. Uh, we'll be helping as we can. I know Brian Doan is doing a bunch of work. Alan a rock Steve star, Wilfong. Oh, he always is. And, and just a reminder to our listeners out there, uh, if you enjoy the, the, a little bit of recruiting conversation today, you're going to get a lot of it. Brian Doan's going to hop on this show for our Thursday episode as we break that down. And, and by the way, folks, Chris Hummer, we've got some things to talk about the transfer portal. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, Christian Veyer, uh, quarterback for Penn State, redshirt freshman, as we're having this conversation, announces on Twitter that he is entering the transfer portal. That's his intention. He's a guy who's gotten a lot of credit for how he has handled himself um, since being demoted or, or since losing that number two job to Drew Aller, uh, the rising freshman quarterback. And uh, now following two years on campus, he's going to explore his options. I like his shot to get a chance somewhere at the power five level and play quarterback. But we'll have coverage of that at lines247.com. But Tyler, I mentioned all this because news is happening as like we sit down for these Always. podcasts and it's just there's no chance to get through an hour recording. It never fails. Something. It yeah, without fell. something coming up. So I think Daniel's already writing the story, probably already <laughs> has the story up. Um, but we'll catch up with you soon, man. Appreciate the, the scoop on what we have cooking on recruiting. We'll get a lot more from Brian later in the week, and we'll let you get back to work now. As always, man, lot to cover. All right, later.
Great stuff from Tyler Calvaruso, from Daniel Gallen, from Mark Brennan. A lot of work put in by this Lions 24-7 team during the course of this regular season. We'll carry that through to the end of 2022. We've got a lot to go through with you uh, here on the podcast over at the site at Lions247.com. We had great response to our VIP special that was cooking during uh, Black Friday, during Cyber Monday. Appreciative of the many new members that have climbed on board and, of course, the ones who have stuck around uh, for several years now. A big offseason coming your way, but we're not quite done with this 2022 campaign yet. Uh, by the time we get into next week, we're going to know who they're playing in that bowl matchup and where we're all heading uh, for some postseason coverage. We're back on Thursday, as promised, with another episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, covering a bunch on the transfer portal with national reporter at 24-7 Sports, Chris Hummer, who has his finger on the pulse of the portal like no one else in this industry. And then we're also going to break down a ton on Penn State recruiting 2023, the final stretch, what's happening, uh, what's realistic, what's not realistic. And 2024, where is Penn State standing and getting Cooper Cousins some company in that class moving forward? Brian Doan will give us a great bra- breakdown as always. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24. 24- okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.